Can you all hear me? Very good. I guess first of all I want to say I'm thankful for the opportunity to encourage you all today. That's indeed my goal, is to be an encouragement to you. Um, this sermon that I'm about to attempt to preach has come from a season that I would say in my life has been a very fruitful and productive time in leading me to trust and obey the Lord. And one of the things that I've come out of that so desperately knowing is that we as men need to be leading our families. We need to take the primary responsibility in our homes to shepherd and lead our families. And I will say that I have been very much guilty of not doing this. And the Lord has convicted my heart in this season. And he has shown me the importance and the priority of that. And that's really what this, what this flows out of. And I want to particularly engage the husbands, the fathers, the sons, and the men in this church today. Also, if you are weary, I have encouragement for you. If you are weary as a Christian, I have encouragement for you today. So the message is, is entitled, Matters of the Heart. Our primary text today is Deuteronomy 5.29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Hear the Lord in that. Oh, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and their children forever. The Father desires obedience from the heart. The Spirit produces this obedience by treasuring Christ. That's on your notes that um, I've got in the back. If you don't have them, there's, there's extra copies back there. But the Father desires obedience from the heart. The Spirit produces this obedience when we treasure Christ, when we make Him the ultimate. In this statement, there are three things that I want you to look at, and I'm going to present them to you today. They're going to be woven through this message. One, the Father longs. He desires to give a heart of fear. He, he desires reverence. He is truth. He is worthy. He longs to give those things to us. He desires to give them to us. He is worthy of that. The Spirit produces a sincerity and obedience, love. That is what the Spirit is going to do in us. And Christ is our treasure. He is our Savior. He is the way. He is the Father's glory. And He is soul, food, and drink. And He awakens our heart, His followers. If we know and we trust Him, He awakens our heart to this treasure. 
to being our Savior, to being the way, to being the Father's glory, to being the soul food and drink. Those are the key things that I want you to understand. Christ is the only food and drink that will satisfy our hearts, our soul. He is the only food and drink that will satisfy our heart and our soul. And may our treasuring of Christ, our savoring of Him, fulfill our weak, broken, dirty hearts in our worship today and our walk every day. The treasuring of eating of anything else, anything we try to put in His place, and that's different for all of us, will leave a nasty taste of indigestion. And it will never fill us. It cannot fill our hearts. Christ is what our hearts long for, and only He can satisfy your heart. Let us pray. Lord, in humble obedience, Lord, we come asking for you to give us this heart. Lord, that is all that we can do. We can ask, Father. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask that you do this as only you can do. Lord, lead us into divine obedience by treasuring your Son, Jesus Christ, who is worthy of our sincere obedience. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to say for the glory of Christ. Amen. So I'm going to start off by defining a few terms. Okay? First part of this might be a little clunky, but you'll have to bear with me. What do the words heart and fear mean? What is the heart that the writer of Deuteronomy refers to? Oh, that they had such a heart in them. When we talk about the heart, what are we referring to? When we say our heart is hurting, exactly just what are we specifically talking about? What we're talking about is the orientation of our being, or the direction, or the seat of our heart. Our internal compass that often, I might add, loses its direction. Again, this is the seat of our affections, where our emotions rise, what we feel from. When the Bible speaks of the heart being desperately wicked among all things in Jeremiah, what is he referring to? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. Who can know it? Who can know the heart? What did Jeremiah said? I, the Lord, search the heart. This is the condition that we find ourselves in with a desperately deceitful, dirty heart. And I don't mean to discourage you in that, 
but we all know that it's true. There's good news. We'll find ourselves coming back to this a little later on this morning, discussing the heart. But ultimately, the heart is connected to our soul. And we might as well just consider it our soul itself. This is the seat of our affections, this heart that I'm referring to. What does it mean to fear the Lord? I define it as a holy reverence, an understanding of God's sovereignty, His weighty power over us and everything around us. This fearing of the Lord is connected to our hearts. It's connected to our minds. And there's a direct connection from the mind to the heart that frames and places this fear in the right view. And I'm going to say that a true vision of this fear is that we would see the God that we would see God the Father as he really is. the sovereign Lord of the universe in His power and holiness. And I don't think we often do that. We don't view Him that way. And to fully understand this fear, I believe the fear can only come through salvation. So if you have not experienced the fear of the Lord... Assess your heart. Do you know Him? This salvation opens our eyes. It opens our eyes fully to the fear of the Lord. We struggle in our fallen state. We struggle. We want to be our own Lord. We want to be in control of our situation, our life, our kids, our family. The list goes on what we want to be in control of. Are we letting Him be our Lord? Are we fearing Him? What's the normal response to fear? What do most animals, what do people do in response to fear? They flee. I'm going to suggest to you that that's the last thing we want to do from our Lord today is flee. We want to run towards Him. That's the only place that we will truly find what our heart is looking for. That's where the satisfaction and fulfillment And the ability to lose control and trust Him will come from. So now, I'm going to introduce the passage. I've defined the terms. 
what the heart is, what fear is. Let's introduce the passage. Deuteronomy 5.29. Deuteronomy is the second giving of law. Pastor Daniel has said this. I'm not going to belabor this point long. It's essentially a repeating of the commandments that are given in Exodus in which the children of Israel are to operate on as they go into the new land. This directed everything God's people, Israel, were to do coming up into Egypt, coming up out of Egypt. So, I think we've probably got enough background on this passage. I'm going to ask a few questions. Did the people have the heart that the Lord wanted them to? Did they ever have it? Were they ever obedient? Did they fear the Lord? Did they always keep His commandments? Ultimately, have they reaped the full blessing that He promises for His obedience? No. We've not either. They've utterly failed, and they're continuing to do so, just as we are. Now, I want to get back to the statement that I mentioned above in regard to our desperately wicked hearts. This is the condition that we find ourselves in. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake. And if you don't find yourself with a wicked heart that's been changed by Christ, and you do not fear Him, consequently, I'm going to attest to you that you do not know your Father. This is the condition of Israel. This is the condition that we find ourselves in. And we must understand that humanity is in the same condition. So what are we going to do about this? That's what the rest of this message is going to entail. And before we get to that point, before we get to direct answers, I want to tell you that the Father longs for his people to have this heart. I want to impress this upon you. What did Matthew say in verse in chapter 23 verse 7 23 verse chapter 23 verse 37? O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often I would gather your children together like a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. Oh, hear the Lord in this. He wants to gather us to himself. That is his will. That is his longing. This is no different than what we long for others. We as parents long for our children, right? We long for them to do better. We long for them to come to Christ. We long for them to be good human humans. We long for them to love the Lord. This is the same longing that our Father has for us. So what's, what is this longing not? This longing is not 
that we would be slaves to the law. He could have made us that. He has the power and the ability to do that. This longing is not that we would walk in blind submission. He wants to give us a heart. He doesn't want to force obedience upon us. He doesn't want us to be like Pharisees. Brothers and sisters, understand that the Father comes wanting, longing, desperately longing to give us this heart. He desires desperately to give it to us. Don't think that He wants to withhold this heart from you. That is not His desire. He longs to give it. I want to be absolutely clear about that. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments. It's there. The longing Father God. So now you understand what the heart is. You understand what the fear of the Lord is. How He longs to provide the proper view, the proper outlook on the heart. Next, we've seen that he longs to give us the heart through proper fear and, again, his longing to do so. Let's consider Israel again. At a point in the Old Testament, he's still not made a way. Christ has not come. So how, how is he to give us this heart? We're going to see how he's going to give it. But the point before that that we must make is that only He can give it. Only He can give the heart. He is a sole provider. It cannot be obtained through human effort. And Jeremiah is clear about that in Jeremiah 32, 38 through 41. Turn there if you will, please. While you're turning there, I'm going to give a brief background on the passage. Jeremiah's a prophet of God. He's being obedient to the Lord. The Lord's already told Jeremiah that he is going to make a new covenant with his people in chapter 31. The same stiff-necked people that are disobedient. The same people we mentioned before in Exodus. The same people. He's not left them. He's not forsaken them. Remember, this is us. Jeremiah's in the city of Jerusalem. The city was under siege by King Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah was in jail. The Lord told Jeremiah that the city would be taken and the people would ultimately be hauled off to Babylon. Then something strange happens. The Lord comes to Jeremiah and tells him to buy a field. The Lord had already arranged the circumstances where the man actually came to Jeremiah and said to him, Buy my field. The Lord arranged that. Jeremiah buys the track of land in obedience. But then he questions God. Why am I to buy this field? I'm paraphrasing. 
for money? Why are there to be witnesses? Again, back then when you had a transaction, people needed to witness the transaction. Why, why are we doing this? This seems simple. The people are going to be hauled off. What, what, does, what, what point does this make? The Lord was giving Jeremiah hope. That's what his point in that was. He was giving him hope, even when Jeremiah didn't understand. So let's listen. Let's listen what Jeremiah says when he is visiting with the Lord in regard to the, ho- in regard to the heart, and that only the heart can come from the Lord. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them, that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do good, and I will surely plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. So Jeremiah doesn't understand. The people are going to Babylon. Why is he supposed to buy this land? What point does this make? The Lord is saying to Jeremiah, trust me. Trust me. What active role did Jeremiah have in this? What active role do we have? Jeremiah didn't understand. He was just being obedient. Point I want to make, he was being obedient. Earlier in the chapter, the Lord shows Jeremiah a few things. And, and I want you to listen to this as I read this. This, this was absolutely profound to me and how helpless we are, and how the God the Father's plan has always been to give us a heart. To fulfill His plan by His means. Now, when I delivered the purchase deed to Barak, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Your great power, your outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay iniquity of fathers in the bosom of their children after them. The great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord God of hosts. You are great in counsel and mighty in work. Your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You have set the signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day. And in Israel and among other men, you have made yourself a name as it is this day. You have brought your people out of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. You have given them this land, of which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and they took it. But they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. The point I'm trying to make here is that He has done it. He will do it. 
He shows loving kindness. He is great. His eyes are open. He has set the signs and wonders. He has made himself a name. He has brought the people forth. He has given them this land. And what? They have not obeyed his voice. We have not obeyed his voice. Though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction. But what? I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. He's going to do it. The point I'm trying to make, not us, but him. So how's he going to do it? How is he going to accomplish giving us this heart? Through salvation, through Christ. That's the only way. God affects ultimate heart change. Not us. He changes our hearts, initial orientation and direction. He sets our hearts on a path to follow him. We must remember that he will do the work in our hearts that he has done the work on the cross, and he will do the work in our hearts. What condition does he find us? Let's turn to Ephesians 2.1. What condition does he find us? And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air and the spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Just as the others. Thankfully, today, we can say we're different because of Christ. But how did he find us? How did he find our hearts? Dead. Dead in trespasses and sin. I want to make that point clear. We are dead. He has to bring us to life. He sets the initial work of salvation, purifying our, purifying our hearts, making us right forever in front of a righteous God who will not tolerate sin. Make no mistake. He will not tolerate it. There's nothing we can bring. Ultimately, knowing there's nothing we can bring Him, even if we try, even if we try as hard as we can, we can't bring Him anything. We try. We do try. This leaves a sour taste in His mouth. He won't accept it. Hear me, please. Don't try to bring him anything. He will not accept it. Look to Christ. Look to Christ for salvation. If you don't know the Lord, if you're not fearing him today, look to him to author your salvation. 
Now, we're going to get to the point of the message that I really want to get to. This is where I want to land. I want to speak to those of us who know Christ as our Savior. And I want to implore to you today that He would be your sweet soul satisfaction. Hear me. Nothing else will satisfy you. The Lord has impressed this upon my heart time and time and time again into my walk with Christ. That continuously I must abide in Him. He must be our food and drink. He must be our food and drink. Sweet soul satisfaction. We're speaking of spiritual nourishment. Let's turn to John 6, 43 through 58. This is a long lengthy passage, but I feel like to get the full context, I need to read it. So please bear with me. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets... And they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. The one that may eat it and may not die. Jesus referring to himself. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled, quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father... So he who feeds on me will live because of me. 
This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Skipping down. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he is before? It is a spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. There are some of you who do not believe. How do you feel when you get hungry? Hungry, right? How do you feel when you get thirsty? Thirsty. That affects you physically, but I also argue it affects you mentally. How do you feel when you're satisfied with food? When you're satisfied with drink? You feel good, correct? Sufficient to proceed to do life's tasks? Oh, that this spiritual food would be so much of a more of a priority to our hearts. We eat three meals a day. How often do we take spiritual food? Lord knows. For me, I'm lucky if I do it once a day. This is what he's calling us to. What did the woman at the well find us so interesting now after reading this passage? She didn't understand when Jesus said to her, when she said to Jesus, give me this living water so I don't have to come here and jerk this bucket up out of this well and take another drink, right? She was thinking of her physical nature. It was not at all what he was talking about. Oh, that the Lord would open our eyes. Sweet soul satisfaction. Think about this. Physical food we can provide ourselves. Spiritual food we cannot. He must provide it. He will give the heart. Verse 43. No one can come to the Father without Him drawing Him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Verse 47. 
if you believe in Jesus, you will have everlasting life. He is the bread of life. This is the bread of salvation once and for all. And it is continual. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, it is continual. And that's what I'm calling us to realize. Is that we must take this food every day. Every moment. Lord, may our hearts be set upon you. Just like our physical nourishment, this spiritual nourishment, this abiding, this dependence. Lord, let it be so. We won't have any other life apart from Christ. Therein lies our utter dependence. That's what this is saying. Without food, without physical food, you will die. Without spiritual, without physical drink, you will die. It's the same thing. That's the relation that he is trying to make here. Think about your physical nature. How you hunger, how you thirst. May it be so for spiritual things. This is why he gave us his word. This is his purpose. Lord, help us to actively abide in you. Verse 56, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Sweet soul satisfaction. This is the inward spiritual nourishment he desires for us to have. Do not turn away from this. Again, if you do not eat and drink physical food, you will die. There is a direct correlation to spiritual food and drink as well. If you do not have it, you will die. Talking specifically in regard to eternity. But how about the abundant life today? Again, coming back to what I'm trying to emphasize to you. If we do not abide daily, we will not be successful for His purposes. We do not need to go our own way. We need to eat His food and take His drink. And he makes us a promise in verse 58. He says, we will live forever. We will never thirst again. May that be our prayer. And when we're not abiding, we need to ask him to recenter our hearts back upon him. When we sin and we're far away from him... We need to turn and repent and come back. We must realize that we're thirsty and we're hungry and we've tried to substitute it with something else. 
John 7, 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of their hearts will flow living water, flow rivers of living water. This is the last thing that I want to really impress upon you in regard to this, this section. If we are to be living waters, we must be abiding. He wants us to give this heart to other people. When we abide, we become a deep, deep river. And out of that river, out of this heart, flows these living waters that we can give others. That's his design for us. We must look to the bread and the cup of Christ daily, hourly, moment by moment independence. Knowing that the good work he started in us, he will finish to completion. He desires us to have the abiding heart. He desires us to hunger and thirst after him. Why is this? Why does he want to give us this heart? Why does he want us abiding in him? For his glory. Because he is worthy. He is worthy. We are not. We are his created being, his subjects. This is ultimately where our true heart comes into play. We don't want to accept the truth that we are his subjects. And yet he mercifully wants to give us his heart. Hear him. It seems like today that it's insulting to say to people that he is our Lord. It seems like we're afraid to tell people that He commands our hearts or that He controls what we do. I believe that's because we don't fear Him. We're not our own. We were bought with a price. He's not a needy God. Make no mistake, He does not need us. He does not need our hearts. I'm going to turn back to Jeremiah 33 just for a second. I want to emphasize this point to you and then I'm going to close. Verse 8. Jeremiah 33, verse 8. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. I will pardon all their iniquity by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. He says it twice. Then it shall be a name. Then it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and honor before all nations, who shall hear all the good that I do to them. They shall fear and tremble for the goodness and all the prosperity that I provide for it. He's speaking of his name. A name of joy, a name of praise, and a name of honor. 
May we do that, even in the hardest circumstances. Lord, forgive me when I fail you. God's glory, that's why he wants us to have this heart. That we might be a living, honoring sacrifice. And only way that we can do this is living from a heart that he gives us through Christ. We must remember, he longs for us to be obedient to his commands. Full know, full well knowing we will fail, but the key is that we continually look upon Christ and his amazing work of the cross. For forgiveness, we must repent of our sins, go to our brothers and sisters and ask them for forgiveness. So in closing, I want to say, the Father's jealous. He longs for us to have a heart of fear, a heart of reverence towards Him. He longs for us to be obedient. He longs to give us a heart of fear. Make no mistake about that fact. Your Father longs for you. Let it sink into your hearts today. Let this thought captivate us daily as we walk. Moment by moment as we abide in Christ, eating the bread, drinking the cup, this cup of his sacrifice. But remember, this obedience can only come through abiding and resting in Christ. It can't come any other way. Just as we eat and drink, we must take Christ as our spiritual food. As our sweet soul food, we must take Him. There's only one thing that I'm going to ask of you. There's only one thing that He asks of you in all this. I hope that is so clear that there's nothing that we can do But there is one thing that we can do. Ask Him to give you this heart. Go to Him. Humbly submit yourself to Him today. Ask Him to enable you to be obedient to His Spirit. You know, obedience is an interesting thing. When we obey Him in the tiniest things, He gives us more. He wants more. Obey Him in the little things. Whether it's He asks you to stop your vehicle and talk to your neighbor. Whether He asks you to go to a brother and tell him how you sinned against him. Whether he asks you to discipline your children. Be obedient. 
one of my favorite hymns. Listen and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Ask Him to help you be obedient. He longs for us to obey. Pastor, come.